Boy, Psalm 32 was great. <laughs> um, in fact, if I blow the sermon, listen to Psalm 32, okay? It, um, in fact, I want to, um, I think I'll just open with the refrain that was written for this. Let's bow our heads. Lord God, bless the soul that's free from deceit. No need to hide what he says from what he means. Blessed is the heart forgiven by love whose every fault our good Lord covers up. Amen. And that's just good stuff. So um, I want to give a quick testimony uh, before I begin. I don't know if it's a confession. I don't think there's anything deeply sinful about this, but um, it's a testimony of confession. When I consider um, all the people that I know in some form or fashion, extended family, classmates from school, college, um, quite a few um, of them do not have in their ebb and flow or rhythm of their life um, the church. It's going to be straight up with you. I, I know a lot of folks, if I was to, to use the cone, I think I used it a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, or maybe it was a couple of years ago. Life's going so fast. Um, when you come into the life of the church, you know a lot of people that are outside. And the further you get into the, anybody remember this, this image? The further you get into the life, you tend to just ebb and flow with the people in the church. And you tend to not do that outside. And, and I think at that time I was saying there needs to be a balance of that. But I want to confess, I know a lot more people that are outside the life of the church than I know inside. Now, that doesn't mean I spend as much time. I spend a lot of time with you. And for whatever reason, you're still here. Okay? Um, the, the point I want to make is I oftentimes move in my own life um, between these two thoughts. Am, am I doing enough? Or is my witness so weak that I have all these friends that don't want anything to do with church, you know? Um, but I also know that, that I'm not responsible for salvation. That's the Lord. I'm not responsible for the sanctification or the work that God is doing. That's the Holy Spirit's work to draw you closer. But somewhere in there, I'm supposed to be a witness, right? In fact, every Sunday we close our service with these words. And now, Father, send us out. Anybody want to join in with me? To do the work you've given us to do. To love and serve you as faithful. Yeah, so there's this balance. And, I, and I'm not um, asking for you to encourage me after the service, say, you're doing a great job, Robert. Or to say, yeah, I agree with you, Robert. Um, I'm just acknowledging it. I, I, there's this point of what is our witness about. Um, so here's a word for me as I looked at not Thessalonians, I looked at the gospel. And what struck me about the gospel a couple of weeks ago when I first realized that's what I was um, going to be sharing or at least reading um, was that Luke named Zacchaeus. All right? I mean, he didn't just say there was a chief tax collector in Jericho. He said there was a chief tax collector named Zacchaeus. All right? So that right there should have just kind of like said, okay, why Zacchaeus? Why did he name Zacchaeus? So these past couple of weeks, I've spent a lot of time thinking not only about Zacchaeus, but also Luke. You know, Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. 
He wrote both of those um, books. Um, and what, you know, what was he all about? Why, was, why would he even include the story? It's not included in Matthew. It's not in John. It's not in Mark. It's only in Luke. And so I was just kind of, that's where I was been surfing the last couple of weeks. And so what I want to do is I want to start by reading um, the very beginning of Luke's gospel um, and listen to these words. Insomuch, this is what Luke writes in verse 1 of chapter 1, insomuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the world to the world um, have delivered them to us, excuse me, and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me, Luke writes, also, having followed all things closely for some times past, to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus. Could be a person, Theophilus means lover of God, could just be a general thing. But then he says, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. All right? So, um, the reason um, I, I read that is because I went to, to Taylor. Um, if any of you ever looked in Taylor's office, you ought to treat yourself. Um, he not only does he have hundreds of books um, in there, he's got all the stuff for the student ministry in there as well. But I know if you know Taylor at all, he loves books. And so I was looking for a commentary that might give me a little bit more insight of who Luke was and you know, when he wrote it and why he wrote it. And this is what I read in one of the commentaries. It's by Joel Green, by the way. Um, and this is where I'm going to begin to get into a message. Um, he writes this. What is often striking about Luke's writing is its orientation not to proper behavior. Whew, man, I, that grabbed me right away. You know, he's not writing this gospel so that we can behave properly, you know. And I want to say this parents to our student ministry, um, we're not trying to raise proper children. We're trying to raise children who are passionately in love with Jesus. And that's not always proper. All right. That's not in my notes. I just saw some of the parents sitting here. Um, so this is what grabbed my attention. He's not writing to orient, orient us to proper behavior. Here it is. But to, but to what a constructed vision of God and the sort of world that would reflect this vision. So what Luke is, here's my words. Um, Luke is writing to reconstruct the vision of God, the vision God has for the world. All right? Do, do y'all hit there? I've got seeing some. Luke is writing so that we can see a reconstructed vision of God for the world. And reconstructed out of material that's not new. This is not like he's going to buy and get new materials. What does he say in the beginning? Um, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. So what Luke is realizing at that time when he's writing this, 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, there needed to be a reconstruction of what this kingdom of God looks like based upon what Jesus had been preaching and teaching. And what he had learned probably from Paul, you know, Luke wasn't a follower. Luke probably was evangelized by Paul. Are y'all following me here? So um, when I read that in the commentary, um, I went, oh, 
So then I came back to the story of Zacchaeus. So Luke tells his story about Zacchaeus to reconstruct a vision of what God wants his world to look like. Isn't that great? So number one, the last verse gave read. The last part of that verse, Jesus came to seek and save the who? The lost, the sinners. You know, you know literally speaking, it said the lost. All right? We know that, right? The arrogant, the contemptuous, the broken, the rejected, the little children. If you look just before that reading of Zacchaeus, let the little children come to me. Um, the persistent widow we read a couple of weeks ago. Um, the age-old cynic. you have any of those in your life? Um, the outcast, the rich, the poor, the not-so-rich, the not-so-poor. The athlete, Bayside, that never seems to lose in volleyball. But what about the ones that always lose? He came to seek and save the lost. The vision of God's world is wider and deeper and not limited by any walls we tend to build up against others. Amen? Um, You know what? Our bishop said last week, for those of you um, who were not here or those of you who are here and might have missed it, at the very end, he just had this one little, you know, seed he threw out. He said, we have a huge unbelieving world out there, and oftentimes they see us as people who are in contempt for them, you know, that we oftentimes build up walls as we're the righteous, Lord, like the Pharisee who we did name in the parable, Lord, I thank you I'm not like them. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And who are the lost? That's all of us, right? So that's the first point. That, that, that wasn't anything new. Second point, Luke's vision of God's world is about healing and reconciliation. And I want to throw this one in, and table fellowship. Of all the gospel, Luke talks about coming together and eating together. He's got the story of the the two men on the way to Emmaus. He talks about table fellowship. Isn't that an amazing thing? Um, Why do we gather here? Why do we even have communion? If it's not a glimpse of what God is trying to do in our life to say, this is what the kingdom looks like. This is reconstruction. Why do we confess every Sunday? If it's not a part of what God wants, the purifying of our hearts. Thinking about who he was, Zacchaeus, what he might have become after this encounter, who did he influence? You know, I, I thought a lot about that. Um, and one of the ways I think about this, because I see a couple of the men that are in some of my groups, I oftentimes throw out these scriptures when I'm about to preach, because I just want to hear what they have to say. You know, I said this a couple of weeks ago. I learned a lot from being in fellowship with you. I'll walk around the office and I'll sit down and talk to Gabe or Mark or Taylor and, and say, you know, this is the gospel coming up. What do you think about this? And they share their insights with me. And um, so in thinking about that, I said, what about Zacchaeus? Who did he influence? He's only one of two tax collectors whose names we know in the Bible. Anybody want to make a guess at who the other one was? Say it out loud. Matthew. 
Well, you know, my little mind, I took that commentary, Taylor, and I got enough out of it. I just set it over there, and I started looking at the scriptures. And so I thought about Matthew. Do you think Zacchaeus, when Luke wrote this gospel, and Matthew knew each other? Just wonder about that. What do you think? 20 years after Jesus had already ascended, Pentecost had come, the church was building, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. There's no evidence here that he quit being a tax collector. Um, Matthew did. Do you think they knew each other? Um, well, let's just assume they did. Um, guess what Zacchaeus' name means? Anybody want to make a stab? If you're in one of my groups, you don't remember? It means pure. Isn't that amazing? So I, I went way off on that one. But if Zacchaeus' name means pure, um, then I just immediately thought of Matthew. The greatest probably corpus of texts read by people outside the church is the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, you know, for they shall see God. And I thought about Matthew also writes those beautiful words, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, Zacchaeus, and learn from me, for I am lowly and, and tender in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy. Um, I do know this about a chief tax collector because I read that. They work very, very hard. You know, some people become financially rich by not working hard. Most people work really hard. That's a priority for them. Um, and so what does Jesus say? Through Matthew to Zacchaeus, come to me. Labor with me, he says. So healing and reconciliation um, and table fellowship um, is a reconstructed vision of what I think God wants for his world. Um, and, and I want to also say this about it. When, when I'm thinking about Zacchaeus and I look at what happened here, it says this. I'm down, if you got your Bibles, I'm down in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Isn't that wonderful? Um, I want to say this about seeking. When we seek the Lord and we are found by him, we realize that he was seeking us. So seeking him, we find him seeking us. So in Zacchaeus, seeking to climb the tree and seeking Jesus to see him, he realized that Jesus was seeking him and called him by name and invited him in. And Zacchaeus received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He had he'd gone into the, to be guests with sinners. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Isn't that a beautiful reconstruction of what the vision for God's kingdom should be like? Caring for the poor. If we've defrauded anybody, Lord, forgive me. You know, dig deep in my heart. Psalm 1, search me and know me. Um, that's a reconstructed vision of the world um, that God intends for us. So here's my, my last point. Zacchaeus' name meant pure. And at the time, and these are just, once again, my wanderings, at the time 
that Jesus saw him and called him down. Let me ask you this. Was he pure? Not completely. He might, he knew his name uh, meant pure, but I just want to suggest that when he received Jesus joyfully, he began to become what God knew he was already. Does that make any sense at all? He began becoming. How about that? He began becoming the new creation that he was in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, the bishop quoted last week at the 8 o'clock service, my favorite passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, they are a what? New creation. The old has passed away. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus began to become the new creation when he came to Christ. And a vision of God's world is that we spend our whole life becoming what he knows we already are. Isn't that amazing? I believe that. Um, I believe that one day um, when we see each other, we're going to be amazing. But right now, we're just becoming amazing. So I would say to you, um, receive the mercy of God. Um, and foremost, do it with patience with yourself. Not so much patience that you, you, you quit seeking um, to be anointed by the Lord and grow better. But I will say this, be patient with one another. Uh, not as patient with yourself, but be patient with others. You know, one of the other things, I'll close with this. Um, Paul was probably Luke's greatest discipler. He, Luke was probably a disciple of Paul. So anytime you read anything that Paul wrote, you can probably guess that Luke was one of the firsthand accounts of being able to read it. And so I just came up with a couple of scriptures that um, I think are important. A couple of weeks ago, we, we finished up uh, Timothy. And the last thing that, that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy was this. And this has to do with patience. Um, he said this down in, uh, let me see where I am. Yeah, right here. All scripture is breathed out by God, um, profitable for teaching. So I charge you in the presence of God, who is the judge of the living and the dead, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So in other words, preach the word with what? With complete patience and teaching. And then in my mind, I remembered that he used that phrase similar at the beginning of 1 Timothy. Um, this is in 1 Timothy, the first chapter, and I think it's verse 16. Um, and he said this. You know, when you flip through your Bible like that a lot, um, it looks like you read it a lot. So you got to flip through your Bible. Um, here we go. But I received mercy. This is Paul. For I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. Isn't that amazing? Paul writes, Jesus Christ might display to me, the foremost sinner, his perfect patience, so I might be an example to those who were, who were to believe in him through me for eternal life. 
church, three things. Jesus came to save the lost. We exhibit that beautiful kingdom by reconciling with one another, with ourselves, by healing, which is relationships as well, by table fellowship, and we are becoming what God already knows we are. Amen?